Well, my name is Daniel Bard, and I am uh, joining Ron and wishing you a happy Mother's Day. We are in between sermon series, I guess, and it's a kind of a standalone Sunday. And I just, uh, it's amazing to me that this one, Mother's Day, is maybe the third most celebrated holiday in the United States. People say that about 142 million cards are being mailed with this occasion. Imagine how many kids and grandkids are those, right? And maybe great-grandkids. And maybe uh, we, uh, as a nation, we spend about 14 billion or more on presents, gifts, dinners, and 69% of those go on flowers. So I guess the florists are very happy today, as well as the mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers. And they also say that uh, we are mailing a lot of cards today. So if you haven't uh, mailed your card, you can still buy flowers, I guess. You know, uh, you, you, you are not late to do that. You can still make those phone calls. We make more phone calls today than in any other holiday, they say. So if that's true, the phone call is right away. If you miss the card and the flowers, at least the phone call, right? That's your last resort. And I did try to call my mom on Skype before the service, but she didn't pick it up. I, she was online, though. So my guess is it was like 1 o'clock, 1.30, she was cooking, uh, making dinner or cleaning the dishes or something, you know, in the kitchen. So happy Mother's Day to each one of you. And especially kids, I think, in this time, they know how to celebrate that. And I just picked up some, some things that I loved about kids, and these are some of them. One of them said this, Dear Mother, I'm going to make dinner for you. I'm going to be a surprise. It's going to be, I hope you like pizza and popcorn, right? The surprise dinner. Another young fellow, uh, he said, uh, or she said, I wish Mother's Day wasn't always on Sunday. It would be better if it were on Monday so we wouldn't have to go to school. <laughs> yeah, why not tomorrow, right? Then make it a longer weekend. And another young one said, um, Dear Mom, uh, I got you a turtle. I hope you like the turtle better than the snake. I got you last year, you know. And uh, you never know. You never know what kids come up with. I hope you like the flowers I got you for Mother's Day. I picked them myself, and Mr. John wasn't looking, right? We, uh, we love the kids because they know how to express their appreciation in a way that is so unique. And uh, it's always expectations, right? We, act, we have expectations as people, mothers, or, or any other... Um, uh, age in our, it doesn't have to be uh, an older uh, person or an adult to, to know that often our expectations are not met. And uh, I just want to tell you that about two weeks ago I flew to um, a conference in Tampa and I was so happy that, uh, that my wife found uh, a one, uh, uh, how do you call that, no, no delay, just direct flight. I always was scared to go up and down and stuff like that and, and change flights. So she found a one uh, direct flight ticket. And I went so happy at the airport in the morning, like just before 6 o'clock. I looked around. There were not many people in the airplane. We were like maybe 30 uh, passengers in a huge airplane. We almost enjoyed it like a private jet, I felt, you know. I looked around. There were like three seats uh, near me on the same row, empty. I, I looked around me. I had seat 
empty on the right on the left i said wow this is indeed what a ride you know in less than two hours we'll land in tampa and uh, it was a nice ride until the captain said you know you remember when they say they point to you fasten your seal belt and make sure that you sit down because we go through some turbulence in tampa there was a storm so we were caught kind of between two layers of clouds and we started to go through, you know, through these layers of clouds and thunderstorm and everything else. And because it was a direct flight, I didn't took my motion sickness pills with me because I said to Felipe, oh, this is going to be nice and I will enjoy it. And the last segment of my trip, I had the bag just, just in case, you know, that's how I did it. And even that, I was shaking, you know, because the airplane, I thought we were going to just fall apart. But we didn't. I got there, and we had a wonderful conference. We enjoyed the teachings. Max Lucado, Max Lucado was there, and others like that, and the worship. This is, uh, it just happens to be the Nairobi Chapel worship team. Among others, they led us, and it was a wonderful time. But my expectations were not met because I was very disappointed with the flight. Now, I got to the destination, but the journey was rocky. I had a lot of turbulence, and I did not look forward to return two days later. Now, the book of Ruth is kind of like that. There's a lot of turbulence in the book of Ruth. And maybe you remember, this is Boaz and Ruth meeting in the, in the fields of Bethlehem. And maybe you remember the book. The book is kind of almost like a roller coaster. It starts down with... Uh, disappointments with despair, then goes up and then comes down, goes up. It's almost like a beautiful, if somebody wants to make a Hollywood movie, this would be a great book to make because it has a lot of plots and, you know, ups and downs and stuff like that. It starts with a famine, remember? There's a famine and this is how it starts. I just, for those of you who are not familiar, I want you to just remember where the, where, um, the book starts like this. It starts uh, down. He says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So imagine, it starts right out, disappointment, famine. Why is it famine? And then it goes up. So a man from Bethlehem in, in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So it's up, up, down, you know, okay, we are going to be safe. We are going to live a nice life. But then he says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with two sons, so you are brought back. She becomes a widow in a foreign land. And then again, they married the sons Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. So again, the hopes are high. Now it's going to go well, but then it comes down again. After they had lived there about 10 years, both died, and Naomi was left without her two sons, and her husband. So again, she is destitute. No more family, and she is still in a foreign land. But then this Naomi is a wonderful mother-in-law. You see, you never thought, but even mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, they have such a beautiful relationship in this book. They have such a love that both of them, the daughters-in-law, they come to the mother and they cry together. And they say, we want to support you. We want to be with you. And she looks at them and says, you know what? I am too old to raise more boys for you. I am sorry. We love each other. And I know how much you love me. But I wish, I wish this could be true. But I am too, 
too old to do that. Why don't you go back to your people and try to find a way for you to survive, to make it? And leave me alone in my pain, in my sorrow. And one of them cries a lot, Orpah, and leaves her. And the other one, Ruth, says these beautiful words to her mother-in-law. This is what she says. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the focus of our, of our story today is this beautiful relationship and these two women... They go back to Bethlehem, and this is what happens. This is the focus of our text. So Boaz, back in Bethlehem, took Ruth, and she became his wife. Now this is the second marriage of Ruth. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, once again, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they name him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is a legend that is true. This is a story that talks about the line of kings. And not only of a king, the first great king in Israel, but also of Jesus Christ. Naomi, forever with Ruth, is going to be in this story in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't start with that. It starts with a famine, remember? There was a famine in Canaan. And usually when famine comes, it's either because of drought, disease, locust, loss of livestock, or warfare. And usually all of these things come upon people because of God's judgment. God judges the land and then drought comes. Famine comes. Disease comes. But in this book, we have no idea. The cause of the famine is unknown. But what we can be sure is that it advances. The famine is part of God's plan. It just advances what he wants to do in the world and in the life of this family. It's basically what Paul tells us and what Calvin, the reformer, They, they say, basically, Paul says these things in Romans 8, 28. He says, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who love God. And it's the same principle that God is sovereign. He can orchestrate macro, big things in the world, and he also orchestrates small things, micro things, the details in our lives. He is in control of everything. There is no thing, all things, no exception, 
that work alone or randomly without any purpose. All things work together for good. So remember this principle throughout this book. All things work together for good. So there is this famine in Canaan. And the first question is, what do you do when your country is in a crisis? When, what do you do when disaster strikes your country? Are you prepared? What's your plan? Many people tell you, do this or do that. Or, you know, make sure that you are prepared because disaster is going to be coming upon us. You know, somebody is going to attack us again. Well, in the Old Testament, famine came many, many times. And it reminds us of the patriarchs. This is what the patriarchs did. Abraham, Jacob, when there was famine, they will go to Egypt. And they will escape the famine and survive by going to Egypt. Now, in this time, it doesn't happen that. Egypt is a little bit further away. But what they are doing, they go to Moab, which is basically their enemy. And Moab... To go to your enemy in this time is not only dangerous, but is also shameful. It's very shameful to have to run to your enemy for shelter. You see, Elimelech, Elimelech and his family, they leave Bethlehem and they go. Elimelech, the name Elimelech means, my God is king. So this, this father who worshipped the Lord in Bethlehem, whose name means, my God is king, which means he will guide the events of your life. He says, I need to leave Bethlehem because there is a famine in the land. And I need to survive by going to my enemies, to Moab, to the Moabites. This is the time of the judges, about 1,200 years before Christ. So for 200 years, these judges come and they try to defend the people of Israel, including defending them from the Moabites. And he trusts, Elimelech trusts that God is his king. That even as he walks out of Jerusalem, of Bethlehem, and even as he goes to the enemy territory, God is going to guide the events. He leaves the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. The house of bread. Isn't this ironic? So this family, a husband and a wife, they have to leave with two kids, two young kids, because there's famine. In the house of bread, when his name means, my God is king. What do you do when your country is in crisis? What is your response? What is your gut reaction? What would you do if this country were to be in crisis? Where would you go for shelter? Where would you run for protection? My God is king. That's what we proclaim. And Paul says the same thing. All things were, work together for good for those who love God. All things work together. They had no idea. This, this father had no idea that he is never going to return. That he is going to be buried in Moab. And not only himself, but his sons before they will give birth to other sons. His line is going to stop right there. And not because the Moabites were evil or killing them, but because of causes we even don't know. Natural causes. They will just die. They go basically to their extinction as a family. 
and only one person comes back. But what's interesting is there is a young person that they meet, right? Ruth the Moabite. The Moabite. And what's interesting is she is not even part of the people, the covenant people. She is a Moabite, and she's young. She is young. She is new. She is new to the town where she comes back with her mother-in-law in Bethlehem. Remember, she meets Boaz in Bethlehem. She has no clue who those people are. She is new to her job. She starts to glean, to glean grain and to, to, make, to work in the field. She joins a new religion. Everything is new for her. She found in Boaz new love. She thought that her love... Have you, have you seen people in love for... Uh, just, just think a, bit, a little bit for a minute. You know, when you love somebody for the first time, you, know, you meet somebody and you start a relationship and you love that person, time kind of disappears. You can take walks and you never even realize that you walked 10 miles. No, 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 we just talked. Where, where, where have you been? And we, we just took a, to- a walk in the park. And it was like you, were, you walked all town, right? You talk at the phone, you forget how many minutes you are there. You, you run your minutes so fast, right? Because you are at the first love. No, nothing matters. That person is the focus of your attention. So she is new to love. She is new to a husband. And she is new to being a mother. She is a new mother. Remember when you were the first time with the first child? Nobody had to touch the child. You know, he was so protective. I remember we came, uh, Zaya was born in September. And until April, she never saw the nursery. Because we thought, wow, this is, we cannot just let her uh, out of our sight. Or, you know, catch a bug or something. And you see even parents right now, you, you will see them in the, in the foyer with their child, you know, just playing. And you will say, oh, you, you brought it from nursery. No, we, we never put her or him yet in the nursery. It's the first child, you know, you have to protect it. So Zaya stayed with us in church. I remember we were students, and she was with us in the, in the car seat in the school, in the classroom, and just under the, uh, you know, behind the table, the, the desk that we had. But then the second, the second child is not so, right? I mean, the, the, you know, you say, well, uh, you, you want to have it for two hours? You know, he will love to be with you. <laughs> but the first child is so important, right? You want to uh, child-proof your home, make sure that the child will be safe, that nothing will happen. In fact, if somebody wants to grab it, you'll say, you know, can you use this uh, sanitizer first? Make sure you don't give any germs. And that's true. We, we take care. And she was that kind of a mother. She loved for the first time. She just turned from her idols to this God of the Israelites. She just looked at her mother-in-law and said, you know what? I've seen you. I've, I've, I've been married to your sons for so long, for 10 years. And I know what you mean when you say you follow God. And she goes back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, knowing that there could be nothing for her there. And yet, there are so high expectations when she arrives there, because people know Naomi. And it's very important for Naomi to teach her that her significance is linked to who loves and marries her in Bethlehem. Boaz is the one that can redeem, that can raise her up, give her hope. And Boaz is the one that she is going to love and marry. Young Ruth, young woman, 
new, new mom, and then Naomi, an older, an older mom, mother-in-law, a widow. She's tested and experienced. She went through life. She's, she's not aging just in vain. She learned so many lessons. The gray hair on her head tells us that she has a lot of wisdom. When she married first time with Elimelech, she thought, my God is king and we're going to have a family together. And they, they did in Bethlehem until famine came. She was displaced by famine. She said, we need to go and save ourselves. And then once they get to Moab, instead of finding the enemy, they find people that receive them. And yet her husband dies. She is a widow with two boys, not married yet. But they marry. The boys marry. She is happy again. They live 10 years with their wives but have no kids. And they die too. She loses everything and everybody that she loves is dead around her. Just remember today. It's very hard to lose somebody close. A child or a husband. Your life is never the same. The pain is so big for some that they cannot recover well. Because the most painful maybe thing is the death of your hopes, of your dreams, of your expectations. That's a slow, slow death that is so painful. It's so painful to let go of your thing. You know, I'm going to have a family. I'm going to be happy. We are going to age together. I'm going to see my grandkids. I'm going to be at the wedding of my grandchild. I'm going to be at the wedding of my daughter or my son. I'm going to be at the hospital. My grandkids are being born. And all of those dreams are gone. And she is disappointed. And in a way, if you don't have expectations, you don't have disappointments. But disappointments are basically failed expectations. And I like what somebody said, the, unex the, the unexpected struggle is what intimidates our soul. The unexpected struggles. The things that we do not expect that will come our way. That's what intimidates us and scares us. Naomi is a woman that has seen a lot. She's been through a lot. And yet she is loving. You know, when she left home, she never thought that she's going to uh, have two daughters that are from Moab, daughters-in-law, but she does. When her sons passed away, they both come and say, we'll go with you. And she says, no, no, you stay here. One stays. And here in this picture is kind of Ruth fighting with Naomi saying, I want to go with you. I want to have the same people that you have. I want to lodge where you lodge, to live in the same land where you, you live. If you will die, I want to die with you because I want to have the same God. I loved your family and I love your God. I came, to, I came to believe in your God. So your God will be my God. Your people, my people. And your cemetery will be my cemetery. I want to be in the same place with you. And they go together from there. But Naomi, by now, she is smart. She learned that things do not turn away in life the way, the way you plan. So... When she left Bethlehem the first time with Elimelech, she thought, we are going to be 
you know, safe. We are outsmart everyone. We just leave Bethlehem, the house of bread. There is famine. We go to Moab and we are going to come back wealthy and strong from Moab where everybody else will go through the famine at home. But what happens? She loses all of those dreams. They are gone. They They disappear. And she starts to doubt herself. What if, you know, what if we would, what if we never, you know, what, was it wrong for us to leave Bethlehem? What if we went to Egypt instead of Moab? You know, and, and you have questions like that too, right? You start to doubt yourself. You say, wow, I, I made these decisions. I wasn't sure they are right or wrong, but I just made decisions. What if they were all wrong because I ended up in this place? What if I, know, what if I, am, I don't have the wisdom that it takes? And what Naomi says, he basically says, you know what? My name is my joy. My name is my joy, but I am not sure that there is any joy left in my life. I'm not sure if I look back, if I made the right decisions. And I had so many lessons and so many pains in my life. So many lessons to learn and so many griefs I had to share. And as she steps back in Bethlehem, she has a poem. She's a, she's, a, she's a poet. She writes a poem, a song. And basically she says to all of the women, do not call me joy. Yeah, when I was young, my mom called me joy, come here and, and dinner is ready. My husband called me my joy, come and let's go together in town. And my friends called me joy, come, my joy, come and let's play together, have fun in town or in the village in Bethlehem. But she says, now... I want a different name. Call me Mara, which means bitter. My joy is gone. I am a bitter person. I lost everything. All of my dreams are gone. My family is gone. Change my name to Mara. Don't even call me Naomi anymore. Because I come back to Bethlehem. Bitter. Don't let, don't let these circumstances, circumstances change you. Don't let the situations, the troubles, change who you are. That's the most dangerous thing, you know, to get into a situation, and if somebody is angry, you get angry, right? Don't get angry. If somebody is cheating in a situation, you don't copy them. You don't cheat with them. If somebody is mean and violent, just avoid the situation. You don't become like them, mean and violent. If somebody is slandering people, you don't join them in slandering people. Let others, let the circumstances be, and you will be the one that God called you to be. Don't change your name. Don't change your name. Don't change your character, because the circumstances are forcing you to think otherwise, to fear, to lose your dreams. And to retool your goals. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been in a situation where your dreams had to die? What do you do when your dreams die? You know, when you are young and when we are looking at our kids before they are even maybe five or so, we have so many plans for them. You know, we almost say, well... We'll see this kid and sometimes kids go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll like to, be, to grow up to be a ballerina or a lawyer or an artist or a doctor. And as they go through life, you know, we say, oh, you can become whatever you want. 
But as we age, we know, well, you cannot become, not everybody can become an F NFL player, right? You realize, well, I, I, I cannot jump that high, you know? I cannot run that fast. I cannot get those scores that will qualify me. And you realize that you cannot say that you have no limits. There are some limits to our dreams. But what do you do when you see that your dream dies, when your hopes are gone? When your loved ones are disappearing from your life. When your perfect life is not perfect anymore. And you have to put the pieces together. Remember what Paul says? God makes all things work together for your good. That's what Naomi had to learn. She had to relinquish her dreams. And she stepped into a different life. And I wonder if you have prayed that you too will be like Naomi. No, she started to look at Ruth and say, you know what? As I'm going back to Bethlehem with Ruth, she is the only one that is left to me. There's nothing to mother. I have no kids. I have no husband to, to nurture and take care and love. What if God calls me to help her? What if my mission and purpose in life is to help her succeed? And that's what she does. She becomes, Naomi, Naomi becomes the mentor, the guide, the wise woman the wise counselor, the mother that Ruth needs in this time. Have you ever been praying that you too will be able to help somebody? I remember there was a couple. They were retired. They had no great-grandkids, just grandkids yet. And she said, Lord, I am faithful to you. I cannot go to the mission field in my age and with my health challenges. But what I can do is I can help someone. Will you please send someone into my life that I can help, that I can pour myself and my love? And she prayed this prayer for many, uh, for many uh, weeks until she met somebody who wanted to buy something from them. And in that transaction, they clicked. And these people were people that came from a different country in, in the United States. And she said, Lord, is this the person, the couple that you want me to take care of? And then as time went by, this couple was here in the United States for the first time, and they kind of settled here, and they started to have kids. And, and this grandmother said, I have so many grandkids. I don't have great-grandkids yet, but I will adopt you guys. I don't need paperwork for adoption to love you. I will be your grandmother. I will be your mother. I will advise you how things are working here. I will embrace you. I will enfold you in our family. And that's what they did. I remember somebody else in our church likes to bake. And many of you, I guess, benefit from, you know, just a loaf of bread. I remember somebody else said, you know, my kids cannot go to Christian school because I have four of them. I can pay only for two. And somebody in the community said, I will pay for the other two. And they will be my, my grandkids, adoptive sort of grandkids. And we will love them. And if you want, we will go to their Grand grandparents day we will be there for you and that's what happens god's plan is the best for naomi too and that's what ruth and naomi learn selfish people cannot succeed it it does seem that they can but naomi becomes selfless and she becomes the help for for ruth and in the new testament the principle is you reap whatever you sow so god gave naomi a baby in the line of the kings 
God, God never left Ruth and Naomi alone. They were all, all the time in God's hand. Remember, all things work together for good, including the crisis in which they were. And from them came King David. Ruth married Boaz. They had a child, Obed, which Naomi can of nurse in her old age. In her old age, she was able to nurse this baby as, of, as if it is, was his, her own. And she basically nursed the line of kings. You know, I, uh, I know that all of you remember that uh, a few weeks ago there were 20-some, 21 Christians from the Coptic church in Egypt that were murdered. And um, the church took their faces, their pictures, their name, and they looked over at each and every one. They identified them. But there was one they could not identify as a Christian. And, and indeed, it was one among them, the 21st, the last one, who was not a Christian. But he was captured with them, lumped with the Christians. And uh, he lived for a while with these Christians that, 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 that died for their faith. And people say that he had a chance to recant. And to convert to Islam. But because he saw their faith, their testimony, this is what he told them. No, I want your God to be my God. I want to die with you. If this is what your God is doing, I want to be with you. I don't need anything else. I don't need to go and walk free. Because I found a God that I love. I want your God to be my God. Let them take me with you. And that was the 21st one who became a Christian in the process. So you say, what about me? What about me? Remember Mother Teresa? She had no natural children. She wasn't a mother in a natural way. But she had thousands and thousands of children that she nurtured and loved. While experiencing turbulences, turbulences, troubles, I would say hang on to Jesus. There's nothing that you can do but in those troubles... Make sure that you look at him, that you see him clearer than ever before. And then join God's work in the church and in the community. Maybe you say, what do I do? Just join what God is doing. Just take your bulletin. Look at how many things you can join. There is a Moms Connect group here that was designed for moms to strengthen them. There is a Women in the Word and so many other things. Just join them and help somebody else. Help somebody else. Be selfless. And help somebody else. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the story of Ruth and Naomi. We give you thanks that uh, you always make all things work together for our good. That the circumstances of our lives are under your control. And that there is no thing that does not work for our good. We trust in your power, in your love for us. And we give you thanks for the love of mothers, mothers-in-law, daughters-in-law, for the love of those who care for kids and nurture kids and also take care of spouses. So we give you thanks for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting. As we depart from here, if you need somebody to pray with, the prayer room is here and is available. And other than that, we want you to go with God's blessings. May the power of Christ, may the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in this coming week and give you strength to walk 
and trust in the Lord. Amen. You may go in peace.